yo, what is going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Clippers Confidential, uh, hosted by yours truly, Tomera Zarli, Clippers beat writer for Clutch Points. I am joined once again by my good buddy, uh, my taco buddy, my Call of Duty buddy, uh, Justin Russo um, of Patreon and Clip and Roll. Yeah, that's basically it. Yeah. And okay. sometimes Clips Nation. And sometimes Clips Nation. Uh, how you doing, Justin? I'm doing okay. The tacos did not sit well with me in the morning. I woke up with acid reflux, but I'm great. Ooh, I'm great. Just, boy. just another another day in the in the life of a man who uh, apparently can't do anything in life without feeling some sort of repercussions. Ah, man. Those tacos hit different, though. For sure. They do. They do. My, my cheat day was worth it. 100% worth it. Um, why, why don't you tell the public that I had to talk you into an extra taco? Yeah, I've been, I've been, okay, fine. I've, I've been working out a bit of late, so I'm trying to, trying to, you know, tone back some of the, some of the bad foods and, uh, I needed this guy to give me a pep talk as we arrived. When we arrived, I was, I was convinced I was going to get like one or two tacos and this guy was like, yo, just, just live, just live a little, live a little. Clippers just won a big game against the Pelicans. Live a little. I'm like, all right, you know what? Boom. One extra taco. Here's my money. And, uh, and we feasted. So it was great. It was great. He threw the money you. through the window of the taco truck and everything. It was disgusting. Yeah. They were just, just simple like that. Just take my money. Just give me another taco. <laughs> um, we are here, though, to talk about the Clippers, who um, came up with a big – I mean, there's a, there's a lot going on around the Clippers. First of all, they, they got a big win on Sunday night against the Pelicans. Um, their second win in a row. They're now 39-40. and 40. So a chance to finish with a season, a finish with a record over 500 this season is still a possibility. Uh, they just got Paul George back uh, from his long, I think it was three-month absence with the uh, torn UCL in his right elbow. Uh, it appears that Norman Powell is on the horizon. His return could be on the horizon. So uh, lots to get into. We'll jump in, into it right away. Um, first of all, Paul George um, has come back. From his torn UCL, he's he's been out since December 25th, Christmas Day, is when they conducted that MRI and determined that he'd be out. Uh, he's played three games since then. He missed the second half of a back-to-back last week, uh, and in the, in those three games, he's been uh, he's been pretty good. Uh, you know, 20, 24 points, six rebounds, uh, six assists. Excuse me, three steals. Um, he's had some really good facilitating. Uh, really been able to command two on the ball and and kick out to shooters. Uh, we saw that a lot in the Utah game and especially in the Pelicans game the other night. Uh, Chicago wasn't his best game. Um, he did shoot just 7 of 20 from the field. But um, it, it was good to see him get to the basket, take contact, and be able to uh, just, just do a lot of the things we're used to seeing Paul George do. Uh, I, I'll say more than anything, the, the smoothness with, with which he plays is uh, it's kind of incredible to see that already back. Um, I posted a couple of clips yesterday, but... You know, his his hezzy game, his crossover game, it just, it just looks like he hasn't really missed a beat. I mean, he came back that first night against the Utah Jazz and dropped 34 points, hit six threes on nine attempts, shot 50% from the field, um, led them to another 25-point comeback over the Jazz. So, like, PG has looked fantastic so far. Um, you know, I asked him this yesterday about whether he thinks they have enough time to gel considering they only have three more games. Um, and he, he believes that they have enough time, um, especially considering – most of the games are going to be at home. They're still getting some guys back. So, um, yeah, I, I've spoken on it, but Justin, how, how has Paul George looked to you um, in his return so far? Is it about what you expected, better than what you expected? It's like, so it, it's both. It's about what I expected and 
better than what I expected. So I, I think what's been better than expected is how he's been moving. Now that's not shocking, I guess, because he didn't have a lower body injury. It's not like he was coming back from a knee injury or a hamstring or anything. So the fact he's moving well, it shouldn't be that big of a surprise, but he's come in and you mentioned the word fluid. Everyone, everyone we talk to behind the scenes and, and other people is that's the word. He looks very fluid. It looks right. like he hasn't skipped a beat as far as movement. His handle's good. Everything looks good. Um, what's been about as expected for me is I, like his jumper's not quite there yet. And I think that's to be expected. Um, he's only shooting 40% from the field in that time. He is shooting 52% on threes. The, the the weird part is he's only 2 of 12 in the mid-range, and he's just been taking a lot of mid-range shots in general since he's come back. It's something he kind of needs to wipe out a little bit or at least make a little bit more of him, I guess. But either way, you look at it like you're kind of getting the guy that you thought you were going to be getting. Um, and that's all that really matters. Like his... His, the, the, the sheer fact he's on the floor has opened up everything else for the rest of the team. And at the end of the day, that's the biggest upgrade for them. It's like, while him scoring is a big deal, what's been the biggest game changer has been the simple fact that he's on the floor. He's able to draw attention from other, from defenses. He opens up the floor for other people and you're seeing other guys look more comfortable as he's like progressed over the last three games that he's actually played. So as you said, he's shooting what, what from the mid range right now? 20, 20 some percent in his return. He's two of 12, which is 16.7%. Oh, awful. But from eight to 24 feet, he's two of 15. So, so on the season, um, from about the 10 to 16 foot range, PG shoots 45% for the field. This is including his last three games. Um, you know, he hovered around 44 last year, 40 before that. So he seems to be, uh, I think just kind of, kind of finding his rhythm with, with regards to that shot, because, uh, like you mentioned, he's, he's shot better from three. He's, he's a 52% from three, um, than he has from, from the mid range area. Um, I mean, four, he's, he's averaging four and a half makes on eight and a half attempts per game from three, which is, which is very impressive. Uh, I mean, the other night against the Pelicans, I don't think he made a single. Yeah, he went 0 for 8 from 2 on all twos, but went 5 of 7 from threes. So uh, a, a bit of a mystery there, but hey, PG's playing well. The Clippers are winning. Um, that kind of, you know, that kind of shot, because he takes a lot of those off the dribble, maybe probably off of like five or six dribbles too. Um, but that shot should return eventually. It's, it's, it's a shot that we've seen him make, a shot that we've seen him um, go to in the playoffs and, and make consistently. So, um I don't think there's any concern. I, I don't think there's any concern there, although we do. I think it, it will come back um, sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not concerned. I, I don't want that to come across like like I'm actually worried about, about what's no. going on with them. I, I'm more or less like it's just something to note. Like, you know, like this is something that he's been struggling with since he came back. And now it's not to say that he's going to struggle with it, you know, for the rest of the year, however long the rest of the season lasts. But right. it is just an interesting thing to note. Right. Um, I mean, the, the Clippers have three games left. Um, Wednesday against Phoenix. Uh, Saturday against the, I think it's the Kings first, right? Kings first, and then the Kings. Oklahoma City Thunder on Sunday. So they end the season with a back-to-back. A few teams actually finish with a back-to-back. Um, but essentially, uh, going into the, the Utah game, he had two days off. 
He had one day off heading into the Chicago game, two days off heading into the New Orleans game. He will have two days off heading into the Phoenix game and two days off heading into the Sacramento game if he plays that game or three days off if he plays a Sunday game. I don't think most of the guys will play Sunday. I'm guessing they'll take that one off because uh, there's a chance their their road playing game in Minnesota or Denver is April 12th, two days after the final game of the season. Or Utah. Yeah, it's it's an outside chance that happens, but it is possible. Um, So there's a chance... They'll, they might have to hop on a flight Monday Monday morning and then play Tuesday night. Um, if that is the case, you probably could see a lot of guys sitting out Sunday against the Thunder. And, and that would mean a lot of guys would get two days of rest heading into their games. A lot of the key guys. I know Ty has talked about, a lot about reducing some of Nico's minutes. Um, we've seen him play Robert Covington a bit more. Marcus has been limited here and there. Reggie as well. So um, I, I definitely think that uh, we'll see some guys well-rested into this final week. Um, I did want to talk about Norman Powell, who, uh, for the first time uh, that I can remember, um, publicly shot around or warmed up um, before. Uh, yeah, I don't think he shot. He's warmed up or shot around in front of us like that. Uh, he underwent a, a pretty extensive shooting drill slash warm up um, on Sunday evening before the Pelicans game. Uh, he was showing off a lot of cuts and, and, and good movement and. Uh, Really looked like he gained most of the mobility. He was, you know, he, he lost with with that injury at first. So um, it's clearly the next step in his rehab. Um, the Clippers, you know, have not ruled him out of uh, potential return in the regular season. Ty Lue says he's not sure whether he'll practice, but I guess we'll find out um, over the next couple of days. Uh, it, Norman Powell, if he can return, um, that's a that's a pretty big boost for this Clippers team. Yeah, I mean, they. it sounds weird to say, but consider how their offense has gone the last week or so, but, like, they could use another off-the-dribble creator and scorer. Like, you know, it's never a bad thing to have an extra guy. Um, I will say, while I do think Norman Powell will return in the next in, in this week, him going through the shoot-around might not actually dictate a lot because, I mean, Kawhi Leonard did that a month ago, so, you know. It is what it is, baby. But but they're different situations. So, um, but with Norm, the Clippers could use him primarily just to give Reggie more of a rest. And at the end of the day, if they get whoever they play in the playing game or games, um, and then a potential playoff series, Ty is going to have the ability to keep two on the floor at all times between Reggie, PG, and Norm. And right then and there, a lot of your offensive problems kind of get solved. So Norm coming back would would help a lot. Um, it, it's just one of those things where I feel like the thing that hasn't been talked about a lot with this team, to be honest, is we look at the guys who've been out. So it was Paul George, who's reintegrated himself very well. And the team, you know, outside of the loss in Chicago where they should have won, um, outside of that, they've... They've looked like they haven't missed a beat. And they look like they've been great. Um, Kawhi and Norm, when and if they come back, like those are two more guys who are getting added, which means more guys' minutes who are going down, which means more roles get shifted. Okay. And there's been no work in the regular season in which Norm and PG have been on the floor together. There's been no work in the regular season in which Kawhi's been on the floor with literally anybody. So... I understand last year went well, and a lot of those same guys are back this year. 
But when you factor in the guys that are new on the team, like Norman and Rocco and Isaiah, having to get used to playing with a potentially with a Kawhi, um, like that, that's that's a big change. And I, I think that we'd be, you know, way too optimistic and a little bit foolish to think that if Kawhi and Norm both return, not just one but both, that the Clippers would just storm their way to a conference finals or or a finals appearance or something because that's not how it works like like the thing to watch is just to see how they all gel together in a short run up into a postseason and it'll be that's the interesting thing to me is just finding out what this team is made of reintroducing guys so far with PG it was good we'll see what happens when and if Norm comes back and when and if Kawhi comes back Man, you guys just got to hit you with the truth of celebrating here. So what is I just dumped a back? whole lot of cold water, so my bad. My man just just brought the negativity to a clip. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, I mean, no, there there is a lot of um, truth to what you're saying. You can't simply assume that because they're getting key guys back, um, that everything will be happy and fine and dandy. Like you can't you can't make that assumption. Uh, it will be an adjustment period. Um, you know, we, we did ask um, both Paul George and Marcus Morris about that yesterday. Both of them, um, namely PG, they, they kind of praised Norm and said that he, he's a very high IQ player. He's a pro. He's been here before. And um, they're confident that if he's able to return in the next couple of games, you know, Marcus did did throw out if he's able to return in the next game or two when I asked if we could potentially see him, um, you know, if, if he comes back. Uh, he's a high IQ player who they're confident they can they can gel with quickly. They won't take too much time to to play with. Uh, again, um, Paul George does not play with Norman Powell. He just played with Robert Covington for the first time last week. So there are a lot of guys that we still haven't seen. Um, you know, different lineups. I would even say. You know, have we seen a, a Nico Rocco lineup outside of the um, the Jazz game? Maybe the Pelicans game had a few. I, I don't remember. You probably have a lineup sheet, but. Um, there's a lot of lineups we can still see with, with this Clippers team with Rocco and Nico uh, guarding the opponent's best players. Um, you know, PG in there, Norman when he comes back, in, in maybe a limited fashion, you don't want to put it on him right away, but he could do it as well. So uh, this team is just is just really, really deep. Uh, they've got a ton of options, and it's not going to be easy for Ty to, to, to figure out and, and balance out how to, how to get everyone involved. I mean, we saw in the first game, Paul just had a big game. And uh, Marcus Morris struggled with shooting. Struggled shooting the ball that game. He didn't take as many shots. Made sure to inform that to me yesterday. Um, but <laughs> but he, he didn't take as many shots. But he was getting the, the right looks. Just wasn't knocking him down. And Ty made made a concerted effort to get Marcus involved ever since. And I think he said three three twenty point games. Well, two straight, including the game he sat out. Um, so like. There's just there's a lot to figure out there. Uh, I don't think it'll be seamless. I think it'll be really good for them. Don't get me wrong. I think it's definitely going to help them to have another guy who can command potential double team in Norman Powell, kick it out to guys. Uh, his downhill attacks and then getting to the free throw line will certainly help them. But it's not. It's just. It's just. It won't always be a seamless transition. I don't think. Uh, I think that Utah uh, game was a bit of a, an outlier. I would say. You asked about Rocco and Nico, 64 minutes together so far this season. Team has been outscored by 13 points total in that time. So, uh, sorry, I meant, I meant Rocco, Nico, and PG together is what I meant. Oh, um, last I looked, I think they'd only played like three minutes together. Got it. Yeah, I mean, the, the potential uh, for that yep, line is insane. Three minutes. Three minutes together, <laughs> yeah. Um, 
but yeah, the potential for that lineup is insane. Just just defensively, floor spacing. Um, it was it was crazy to see because you had Winslow out there uh, in certain situations early in the year, uh, Bledsoe at times, who you know they were not great shooters, and you're you're essentially playing Robert Covington in some of those minutes now, and uh, it's been. You know, Terrence Mann has also taken the backup point guard, but he can shoot the three well. Robert Covington clearly can. So it's there's a lot of shooting and a lot of different options on that team right now. You know, you know what PG's return has done, and you mentioned him. PG's return has really streamlined Terrence back into the role that he's most comfortable with, which is a slasher and you know a catch and shoot guy, and like a hustle. Like I, I don't, I'm not saying he he wasn't good as a creator or secondary ball handler. That's not what I mean. But what PG coming back has done is it's released that burden from Terrence to where he's now able to just play freer and do the things that he knows he can do at a high level because he's always going to have Reggie or PG out there alongside of him, alongside him to be the main ball handler when he's on the floor. Like that, that, that right there might be the biggest factor in PG returning alongside Luke Kennard getting a lot more free looks in the time that he spent alongside PG since PG's return. So what do you think, uh, if you had to guess, do you think Norman Powell makes a return over the next couple of games? Yeah, I think he'll, if he doesn't return Wednesday, I think he'll return uh, Saturday. I, I kind of think that I, I'm not sure they'd want to play him Sunday. Like, if you had the option of playing him Saturday or Sunday, I just don't think you'd play him Sunday because you could give him an extra day off. Uh, I would – I actually agree with you on that. I, but actually, no, I'm going to disagree with you on that because I think you can you can, you can, can play um, Norman maybe 10, 10, 15 minutes the first day. Um, I know it's the whole getting, you know, getting ready for a game and that actually takes, you know, takes him out of your body. When you get ready for the game, you're doing your pregame lifting, your postgame lifting, the rehab and all that. Um, it takes a lot out of you. It's not as simple as just showing up to a game and playing. But I do think uh, for his you know, conditioning or just, just getting used to playing with some guys, I wouldn't be surprised to see him play uh, you know, maybe 10 minutes Saturday and then maybe another 15 minutes Sunday or vice versa. Just because it'll, it's just another game to try and get a little bit of conditioning in before the playing game, try to get acclimated with some of the guys after you've been gone for about a month, month and a half now, actually two months almost. Um, would it surprise me if they only played in one of them? Uh, no, that would, that would not be surprising. But I think that just to get him a few more minutes and just a bit more conditioning, uh, I could see them playing him in both the games. So, like when you really think about it, Norman Powell hasn't played in 53 days. The, the time that we're recording this podcast has been 53 days, which is almost two full months. They've been without what would essentially be their second best offensive player in Norman Powell for two months and was were without their best offensive player for three months. And I'm not counting Kawhi because he just didn't play yet this season. So I'm, I'm not counting him in that. Like when you have missed guys that long and they overlapped each other. It's not like you missed one guy three months and then the next guy went out in two months. They overlapped each other. Um, it's kind of astounding that they're where they are at this point. I, mean, I know we keep talking about it, but 40 and all that. Yeah. It's, yeah. Like yeah. I, I know we've talked about it. It's just, it, it's really just insane to think about that. They've been without these guys and they're just chugging along right near 500 clinched a playing spot, uh, clinched the top, one of the top two playing spots 
and you know could finish with a winning record. It's 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 seriously insane. It's baffling to me. Well, I mean, a lot of it's got to do with coaching and, and and players just staying ready. We talked about that stay ready crew before. Um, they they've just done a good job all year. Um, but speaking of the plan that you just brought up, uh, we do have um, we we do know some things right now. Uh, as it stands, the Clippers will be the eighth seed. Uh, no one can overtake them. No one can drop below them. Uh, they are the eighth seed. Um, as it stands, Minnesota is the seventh seed. They are a game and a half behind the Utah Jazz for the sixth seed. Plus, Utah has a tiebreaker. Uh, so it's going to be tough there. They're also Minnesota is also two games behind the Nuggets for the for the um, for the fifth seed. Actually, Denver's ahead of Utah. So. Um, there's still some positioning to figure out here. I would, if I had to guess, I would say Minnesota is probably the team the Clippers will play in the play-in. Um, but like I, like I said, Denver, Utah, Minnesota are all possibilities. Um, if you had to pick one team that you think the Clippers most want to play out of that, that out of that trio, who would it be and why? Utah. I think if there was one team the Clippers were clamoring for, it'd be Utah. Because of the simple fact that at the end of the day, I think they know they have Utah's number and that Utah is mentally fragile when they come and play the Clippers or in any scenario when they play the Clippers. I really firmly believe that at this point. When they, when the Jazz dropped their game to the Clippers here, um, the 25-point lead, and not, not the Game 6 one, the one last week. Um, we had the Jazz beat writers just going, how the hell did this happen again? Like, it happened again. Uh, it was our first time back in L.A. to face the Clippers since that Game 6, and they lost in the exact same way. Um, I think when you, even though it was a regular season game, I think when you lose, when you lose three games the way they did, three games being Game 5, Game 6, and this this game last week. Um, keep in mind, they were up 2-0 in the playoffs, and it was tied 2-2 when Kawhi went down. When you lose three games the way they did, um, it's hard not to feel like a team has your number, as you said. Um, like, there, there's, there's, there's so much going on with that team right now where you can see that they – just don't have confidence in one another. Uh, when, when things get tough, they, they kind of just look around and look at each other and try to figure out like, hey, were you supposed to rotate? Were you supposed to move? Yada, yada. It's just like they're not sure what they're supposed to be doing or they're not sure how to stop a run from happening. Um, I think a few days – yeah, on Saturday, they blew a 21-point lead to the to the Warriors. Uh, they were up 16 with about eight minutes left. And with, with five minutes left, they were down one, I think. Something like that. So like – this team just, um, they lost Joe Ingles, but they, I think they've also kind of reached their peak, this being the Utah Jazz. They kind of know how good they can be, and it's kind of just reached its peak. So if I had to if I had to pick one, I would definitely pick the Utah Jazz. Uh, I agree with you on that. Because the Clippers, Ty Lue, I would say, and the Clippers definitely have their number. Like, Ty Lue has executed game plans when he wanted to, to completely take out some guys. I and mean, we saw that with Steph earlier in the year. We saw that with Rudy a couple of days ago. We saw that with Valanciunas on Sunday. Um was a, a gold moment for, for us. Um, Ty, Ty Lue's a big asset there, and I think Utah is a team you don't want to face. But if there's a team 
sorry, there's a team they do want to face the Jazz. But if there's a team, is it this team you don't want to face? Which team do you not want to face for the Clippers out of the Nuggets, Jazz, and Timberwolves? Honestly, probably Denver. And I know that sounds crazy because Denver is also injured. There's no, there's probably going to be no Jamal Murray, no Michael Porter Jr. But at the end of the day, Denver has the best player on the floor. And they're probably going to have, and he's probably going to win a second straight MVP. He's a top three to five player in the league. He's a guy they have no answer for and never have an answer for, no matter what scheme they try. Um, obviously, I'm talking about Nikola Jokic. I just think that, like, out of all the teams, that's the one where they're just like, if if we don't play that team, we're not going to be sad about it kind of thing. Um. Yeah, I think I think it's tough for me between Minnesota and Denver, but I think, like you said, the team that usually has the best player on the floor wins. Um, and I feel like Denver has enough around Jokic as it stands to win a you know single elimination playing game. Uh, where so, granted- so think about it. I don't mean to cut you off, but think about it from this perspective, right? Denver has guys who, in one game can absolutely obliterate you. Bones Highland, Will Barton, Monty Morris, Austin Rivers, we saw do it against the Clippers in Denver. Like, it can happen. They have the type of guys who, for one night, can kill you. Minnesota has those guys, too. I'm not trying to say Minnesota doesn't have those guys. But those guys are more well-known, like the D'Angelo Russells, the Anthony Edwards, the guys that you're going to game plan for and create actual game plans for anyways, like maybe Malik Beasley kills you and you know, that's, that's okay. But I, I mean, I knocking on wood, I'm not wrong about this. I don't think Jared Vanderbilt's going to kill you shooting threes or Nas Reed who can make them, but I don't think he's going to kill you doing it. Like it's those guys who swing a one game scenario and Denver has more of those guys. They have the irrational confidence guys needed for a game like that for the Clippers. I kind of think that would be the team. I'm not going to say avoid, but I think that if you had to rank the three teams, I think Denver would be at the bottom of the teams you would rather see. I think I personally would go Utah and then probably, yeah, I would go Utah, then Minnesota and then Denver. I know it sounds crazy, but Minnesota, Minnesota, I think has a better style than Utah does in terms of beating the Clippers. I mean, they. I think they know who they are more than the Jazz know who they are, which means at this something. point probably. Yeah, um, Chris Finch has done a great job with them. Not, not that, not that Quinn Snyder hasn't, but I think Minnesota, uh, the Utah Jazz has kind of lost their way in terms of their. Uh, it just feels like they they they've reached the you know the peak of how good they can be. Um, they they really only go as far as Donovan Mitchell goes, and unfortunately, it looks like he's kind of just. I don't want to say he's gotten as good as he'll ever be, but he's he, he he's he likes he's a, he's a very overconfident three point shooter in my opinion. Um, he can knock it down, but I don't think he knocks it down at a high enough clip to shoot as many as he does. Uh, when their offense sputters. Uh, it's a lot of just hero ball uh, from Clarkson and um, Mitchell, and I just I just don't know. I mean, clearly it hasn't been a recipe for success 
So I don't know why that would change in the play-in tournament or the playoffs. I mean, again, one game can change everything, sure. But I don't know if you can rely on that to happen, given how it's happened. Um, so I also think you have to factor in the way that teams are playing, right? Like, for instance, Utah began the season 28-10. and 10. They were great. They were legitimately, like, phenomenal. Since then, they're 18-22. and 22. And I understand there's been some injuries to Gobert. He's missed some games. Mitchell's missed some games. Conley's been in and out. Bogdanovich has missed games. I understand that. Ingles uh, got injured. I completely understand that. I understand and I and, and I get it. But they've been below 500 for almost three full months now. I I just I think that's the team you'd want to play in a one game scenario. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think you're wrong about that at all. Um, I will say, you did mention that Denver has a lot of irrationally confident kind of guys that, that can kill you. Um, I don't disagree with that. I think they do have those guys, especially a guy like Bones who's come on over the last couple of months. Uh, will Barton can certainly have a game. Aaron Gordon, we've seen kill him on the offensive glass. Um, I will say, I feel like the Clippers have those guys too, especially with Paul George um, back. You have guys who can... Uh, play back in their roles that they were used to before PG got injured, meaning Reggie doesn't have to handle the ball 24-7. Terrence doesn't have to be the backup point guard as much. Um, Marcus doesn't have to be the focal point of the offense anymore. He can can give you 20. You don't need him to give you 20, though. Um, Robert Covington, Nico Batum, you know, they can hit threes for you. Um, Guard the best players on the other team. So... I think they have enough as well in terms of the – specifically rea- reacting to what you said about the irrationally confident guys. I think like, the Clippers have those guys too. Um, and in the one game, you know, do or die kind of game, uh, anything can happen with that. I wouldn't be surprised if the Nuggets guys struggle and the Clippers go off. I wouldn't be surprised if the Clippers guys struggle and the Nuggets guys go off. Um, but I think both teams kind of have that. That would, be, that would be the most interesting matchup to me uh, because – the Clippers have struggled with Denver for, for a good couple of years here. Um, I mean, they, they they have a good game plan for him, but still, Jokic is Jokic. Um, but I think that would be the most interesting game for me, uh, just, just if I was a fan. Look, man, either way, the Clippers, Ty Lue, one game, potentially a second, but let's just call it one game for now. One game, devise a scheme. I'm going to trust him until... I'll, you know, I'm just, I'm going to try, I'm going to I would trust him with my life at this point. Jeez. I mean, you're not wrong. <laughs> um, I did want to take this man said, geez, and then dropped a, you're not wrong. Respect. I mean, once you think, once you think about how Ty Lewis adjusts to everything this year, I mean, there's been times where we've asked questions pregame and he's like, nah, like he's, he gives you that, that smirk, that smile. Like, I don't really want to go into that. And then we go into the game and he just like, executes a game plan perfectly about what we were asking pregame and after it'll be like you see you know we've had those moments you've had it because i know you ask a lot of game plan questions i've had other times like i had the one the other day with, with valentunas like ty has these game plans that he i feel like he hides a lot but when he needs to unleash it he unleashes it and if there's a guy you want on your side for a one game elimination i've said it before it's it's got to be ty Lu. uh yep i, I did want to briefly because i know it is a ways away and we don't know yet but um briefly talk about the upper part of the standings which you know if the clippers are able to win the 7-8 game they will take the seven seed uh and they play the memphis grizzlies who have pretty much locked up the second not pretty much they have locked up the second seed um 
They could play the Memphis Grizzlies if they lock in the seventh seed. If they lose their first play-in game and win the second one, they would get the eight seed and play the Phoenix Suns. Who of those two do you think is is, is a better matchup for the Clippers? So this is funny because you and I had this conversation literally yesterday, just by and ourselves. I will say, and I will say I'm still kind of flip-flopping because it's not easy to decide on these two. Yeah, it's so... Look, I'm, I'm gonna, I'll spoil it right now. I understand where you're coming from by saying that Phoenix would be the team that makes the most sense for the Clippers to want to play because they got six games with them. They know everything about them. Both teams know each other. It would just simply come down to execution. I get that. My pick would be Memphis. If they had the option of, of playing Memphis or Phoenix, I'd take Memphis because quite simply... Memphis, for as good and fun and young and, you know, the the type of attitude they have, as great as they are, and they've been absolutely incredible this season, they've been the second or third best team in basketball, depending on how you want to look at it. Um, Personally, I would pick Memphis because outside of Desmond Bain, I'm not sure who else on that team is going to beat you by making jumpers. Um, their entire team wants to get in the paint. Jaw lives in the paint. He's incredible getting there, incredible getting the line. Jaron Jackson, the same. You know, Brandon Clark, great on the offensive glass. You know, they have these guys who kill you. Steven Adams kills you on the offensive glass. They have these guys who can do things that will haunt you. But, and I, and I say this with respect, I'm not sure, outside of Desmond Bain, I'm not sure who would strike fear into the Clippers offensively as far as being a jump shooter is going. Because obviously, Jaw's so good offensively, that should strike fear, and you you have the game plan for that. But simply as a shooter, I'm not sure outside of Desmond Bain who really causes you problems unless DeAnthony Melton is making his threes and Tyus Jones. Like, those are the only two other guys that the Clippers would ever have to worry about in that series besides Desmond Bain as far as as far as strictly as a jump shooter goes. And I feel like if you gave Ty a series against Memphis, while Memphis will absolutely win their games and, and possibly even the series because, you know, depending on if Kawhi ever comes back or what's up with Norm, etc. I feel like the game plan Ty would, would and could devise would help mitigate a lot of the issues that Memphis would present them. Um, I would agree with you on that. I do think though they're nineteenth. They're nineteenth in three point percentage. They're twenty third in two point percentage. They're twenty eighth in free throw percentage. The thing that they do better than everybody, obviously, is they get offensive rebounds better than everybody, so they have more second-chance points than everybody. They get more steals. They get more blocks than anybody. Basically, in the postseason, when it really slows down, if you were to be able to take care of the basketball, which is a tall task because Memphis is good defensively, but if you're able to take care of the basketball and you can reasonably keep them off the glass, I say reasonably because you can't just strictly – give up no offensive rebounds to them. But if you're able to protect the ball and you're able to not give up a lot of offensive rebounds, I think you can win that series. So here's the biggest issue for me. Um, 
the the Grizzlies averaged the most points in the paint um, this season at fifty eight four higher four four more than San Antonio at number two. Um, they over over four games this year they've averaged sixty five points in the paint against the Clippers. I believe there were a couple seventy two point games in there. I'm not exactly sure. I believe so too. Double check I think that. so. Yeah. I feel like it's. It's a bit hard to gloss over that. I mean, I, I, we're not glossing over, but it, 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 it's a hard stat to ignore is what I'm trying to say. The offensive rebounding, um, just, just, just the way they got dominated um, was tough to watch, I would say. The Clippers went 0-4 against them this year. Um, they lost – let me see what it, what it was. Uh, they lost their first game by six. That was the home opener. Uh, second game by 12, third game by 15. That was the game that Brooks and Morant didn't play. And then the last game on February 8th, uh, 135 to 109. So they've just been routinely getting smoked by this team. Uh, I I do agree with your point that the shooting might be a problem for them, but given that they have Steven Adams, Jaron Jackson, uh, who's been pretty good defensively this year, fouls a bit too much, but pretty good defensively. Uh, Brandon Clark, um, a, lo- a lot of guys who crash the glass and give you a lot of issues on that, on that second chance points. Um, that's tough. That's tough. I mean, they they average 20, 20.3 second chance points. That's that's a lot. That's hard to ignore. It, it, again, not saying the Clippers can't stop that, but that that's really hard to ignore. They average the most second chance points in the league. Memphis does. So most points in the paint and most second chance points. Uh, most fast break points. Um, fourth in point-off turnovers. So th- they do a lot well that the Clippers struggle at. Um, now, I'm not, I'm, I don't know if, I, if I'm saying Phoenix is, is a tougher... I think, I think, you know, I think I am saying, I think Phoenix is an easier matchup than the Grizzlies um, because, like you said, they played six games against them. I think in four games this season, uh, they've played them pretty well. Um, they've, they've been missing guys and they still played them pretty well. I think a few, three, three of the four, no, two of the, two of the four, they play without PG. Um, might be, might be one of the four. In any case though, they, they've played them well this season. Um, you could see avenues to winning games there. Um, again, I don't think Norm Powell has played against them, which could, could be a bit of a, a wild card thing there. But, um, I, I just think the way Memphis plays just, and again, this is including what you said about the shooting, which which could really come back to bite them in the butt. Um, Memphis just does so much that the Clippers are, have struggled with that I could see them just eating them alive this season in, in, a, in a playoff matchup. Completely understand. Absolute. I don't think there's a wrong answer here. What I will say, Memphis, is, so to put this into perspective, Phoenix is second in half-court offense, according to Cleaning the Glass. Their half-court offensive rating this year is 100.8, which is absolutely insane um, for people who don't know because scoring in the half-court is really hard in the NBA. Um, Atlanta leads the league at 101.2. Utah's at 100. Memphis is all the way down in 22nd, 93.4. They're sandwiched between Sacramento and Houston. And the reason Memphis is good offensively, they have the third-best offense in the league, according to Cleaning the Glass, but the reason they're so good offensively is because they're the by far, unequivocally, the top transition team in the league. They get out in transition more than any other team. They do it better than any other team. 
So that's why their offense is so good. But if you get them to the half court, and I'm not saying that's easy because they play in the half court less than any other team in the league. And even that's not close because they play in the half court 74.5% of the time. Toronto's at 75.6%. 1% might not sound like a lot. It's a lot. That's a big That's a big change over the course of a season. Um, I think if you could, and I, I say if because it's tough, if you could keep Memphis in the half court, if you could, I think your chances at not only taking a game, but potentially taking a series, I think would increase a lot better than if you were to go up against Phoenix, in my opinion, and play Phoenix in a strictly half court game. Yeah, I, I would say, I would say those are good points as well. That's again, there's, there's no great Plus, option here. Both teams, yeah, go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry. Plus, there is the the deal with. Jaw and his injury, like how 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 good is he as he comes? Um, they back? said multiple times he's they're not concerned about it. I mean, there's no way to kind of gloss over a two week absence or three week absence, whatever it is. Uh, I know he came back and he experienced soreness and he left that game again uh, with the same injury. So we'll see if he's good. I mean, they're resting guys right now. I think most of their key guys are not playing tomorrow. Um, it might be like Dylan Brooks and the rest of those guys. Um, that are not playing tomorrow. I'll tell you right now. Uh, yeah, Morant. Oh, so Morant is all, Morant and Dylan Brooks are the only guys not playing that are in the rotation. Desmond Bain, DeAnthony Melton, Stephen Adams. All the guys are playing. They're all playing. So um, they don't seem to be resting guys. Uh, so I wonder if if Jock can get any regular season minutes before the season's over. Uh, so that's I, the big thing. I don't that, think so. That's the big thing to me, because you like. I understand he's played this season. He's been absolutely incredible. Incredible player. Uh, best player in the world to watch, personally. For, for Pound for pound, I think he's the fun, the most fun player to watch in the league. However, I don't know, coming back from what he's dealing with, if, if he's able just to ramp up straight from 0 to 100 as, you know, right into, right into a playoff series. So maybe I also factor that into it, but you know, there's, there's, you know, six days left in the season, regular season wise, maybe, maybe he'll get some time. And then he's got another week off before he has to play the play the for the first game of this, of the first round series. So there's a chance he doesn't play for a full month, by the way, like that we have to factor into this. Yeah. Yeah. All, all things to consider. Um, but all right, so so my pick is Utah. Your pick is Utah for the playing opponent. My pick is Phoenix. Your pick is Memphis for the playing opponent. Um, anything else before we wrap it up? I'm good, baby. I'm gravy, baby. Any any recent Clips Nation article you want to plug? Uh, I wrote about how they're basically the greatest comeback team of all time. Um, in fact, to tell you how dedicated I was to this, Tomer can tell you because I sent it to him. I created a spreadsheet of every single win that the Clippers have had this season compiled with the win probability and what their largest deficit was, what their, so basically it's what their largest deficit was when it occurred, what their win probability was at the time, and then what their lowest win probability was at any point during the game. And you look through it and, and, and there's some truly insane stuff to, to, to find out. Like they have five wins um, coming back from down 20 or more. Um, if you just look at just win probability, they have uh, six wins when their win probability was 2% or lower uh, at any point in the game, which is 
utterly astounding to kind of fathom. Um, look, man, just enjoy the team. It's an incredible ride. The fact they even got eighth, and, and I know they have to go to the play-in to actually get into the real postseason. The fact they got eighth is is disgusting. And the rest of the Western Conference should feel utterly embarrassed that a team that was without their top two players for basically the entire season was able to do this. What Justin didn't tell you is he had a beautiful intro written for that article that he couldn't squeeze in either, which is on some other doc or notes somewhere. I don't yeah. Know. Now I'm sad again. Sorry. Sorry. Um, well, you guys, um, hope you guys enjoyed the episode. Uh, as usual, subscribe uh, to the podcast, wherever you guys get your podcasts. Uh, please also leave a review if you guys liked it. If you freaking hated it, I would love to hear it. Um, if you guys have any comments, questions, or concerns, stuff like that, feel free to you know tweet me, uh, DM me, throw it in the reviews. Doesn't really matter. I want to hear it. So, I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. And uh, we will catch you guys next week. Um, and that week's episode, that next episode, will be a postseason wrap-up episode. And, oh, sorry, not postseason. Regular season wrap-up episode uh, where we talk about um, the play-in and stuff that we got going out there. So, um, yeah, hope you guys enjoyed it. And uh, we will see you guys next time.